Welcome to the Level Up Podcast, brought to you by Century 21, the Harrelson Group, featuring masterminds with real estate leaders, coaches, and influencers, plus eye-opening strategy sessions with up-and-coming agents. You'll learn exactly how to go from agent to entrepreneur. And now, let's get to the latest episode of Level Up. Hey, everybody. It's Matt Johnson. Welcome to the latest Level Up podcast. We are live on Facebook now. I've got Greg Harrelson here with me back off of a, a big, big trip. And we've got a lot of stuff to dig into today. We're talking about the art of relentless prospecting, why certain people prospect and others don't, and why even those who do struggle with consistency and what the keys are to mastering those issues and getting a very consistent, predictable, stable, and abundant uh, income for yourself in real estate. So first of all, Greg, welcome. Hey Matt, thanks. I'm glad to be uh, glad to be here with you, as well as uh, glad to be back into the uh, good old USA. I tell you what, I've been gone for 20 days, and uh, that's one heck of a, a trip for me. Um, yeah. And uh, there's nothing like being home and uh, and sleeping in my own bed. So I'm excited. I'm excited about this conversation. I know we're going to talk about prospecting, generation, and whatnot. It's something that uh, I um, I believe I have a good bit of knowledge about. Um, I can assure you that um, it is one of the things that I built uh, my my career off of. So I'm excited to share. You know, yeah, we got and be a part of this. There's a lot. There's a lot of different directions we can take. And guys, we have about 35 minutes, so we we won't be able to uh, uh, to get to everybody's question. But I do want guys, if you uh, if you first of all, if you enjoy what we're saying, make sure to hit the heart and like button here on Facebook. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on places like iTunes, Stitcher, and YouTube. But guys, let us know kind of what your biggest sticking point is on prospecting. We'll try to mix that in and answer the questions as we go along. Uh, and then even if we don't get to it during the live broadcast, me and Greg will go back and comment and interact with you on the comments on this Facebook video. Guys, so whatever you put down, we will figure out a way to address it either live or after the fact. But let's start with kind of the big theme here of, of relentless prospecting. So first of all, let's talk about why certain people prospect and why you know why they do and why they don't. And kind of what's the, what do you feel like is the sticking point of the key reason why some people prospect and reach out cold for new business and others don't? Yeah, and that's a. I think that's a great starting point because uh, you know I've uh, obviously I've built my company and by developing real estate talent, real estate agents, and you know so I'm dealing with you know agents all the time coming to my office and some of them want to prospect, some of them don't want to prospect. As well as when I coached with Mike Ferry, you know I was coaching agents and the same thing. Um, some people wanted to prospect and some people didn't want to. And and here's what it boils down to for me, and this is going to be my opinion, and you know people may have differing opinions. But at the end of the day, I think it all comes down to, um, I think, maybe self-image, um, but more importantly, the, the simple term of rejection. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and what you see so often is agents either coming into the business as new or, you know, existing agents that have been around for so long. You'll see the majority of them are working with buyers. And, and, yeah. and trust me, that's nothing wrong with working with buyers. Nothing at all. All I want to do is maybe look at a distinction between those who prospect for listings and those who work for buyers. The distinction that I see is rejection. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and let me be a little bit more clear here. See, when you're working with buyers and you're working with a buyer and they don't buy the property, the bottom line is, is they rejected the property. They didn't reject you. So there's no experience of rejection from the real estate agent's perspective. Mm-hmm. It's all acceptance on the buyer side, you know, and the rejection is rejecting of a property, not a rejection of 
to an agent or of an agent. But on the listing side, it's totally different. Mm-hmm. On the listing side, when you're going and working with a seller and you're doing a listing presentation, if you don't get the listing, it's because they rejected you. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. There's no property involved. There's only you involved. And they flat out rejected you. They rejected your presentation. So how, what does this have to do with prospecting? Because that's really the listing presentation. What this has to do with prospecting is I think that people subconsciously realize that if they prospect, they're probably going to end up getting a listing appointment. Mm-hmm. And if they get a listing appointment, they're going to be now in a position of potential rejection. So I think some people and most people are more comfortable just avoiding that situation altogether. Now, if we say – if we were to put a, a, a survey out and um, – and why don't people prospect and agents were going to answer that survey, you're no one's going to say that it's because I'm trying to avoid rejection. They're going to say all these other things like, well, you know, I don't really like to call people. Um, I really don't have time or, you know, I don't know where to get the numbers or I don't know this. I don't know. It'll all be a bunch of BS, a bunch of excuses. And it's in, and, 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 and these excuses are really good. They, they sound good because we have to make them sound good in order to to justify why we don't do something that we kind of yeah. know we should yeah. be doing. But I think it really comes yeah. down to a fear of rejection. I really do think it boils down to that. Let me ask you this just quick side question. Have you ever have you ever trained agents in reverse in the sense that instead of teaching them to call and get the appointment first and then show them how to execute a, a good listing and presentation, have you started with them backwards and taught them how to execute a great listing appointment first before you teach them how to get the appointment? Is that I don't know if you've ever experimented that way. It, no, it's it's that is that's Mike Ferry 101 right there. Really? Uh, he actually tells you to learn the presentation first. Now yeah. that doesn't now now of course we got to be careful because now people are going to say here's another excuse to never actually make a call because <laughs> right. I haven't learned the presentation yet. <laughs> right, right. right. And, and remember, I've been around a lot of real estate agents, so I can pick up exactly when what what path that they're going to go on. Yeah. But the reality is, is get on the phone and, and make some calls. Start because that is part of of learning. But yes, if you will go ahead and master the list and presentation first, then you're excited to make the call because then it's like, bring it on. I want Mm -hmm. to make a call because I want to go on a presentation because I want to perform. I want to show people how well I can do this presentation. So yes, if you go into reverse, like you just mentioned, that is, that, that would be very, very helpful. I recommend that to everyone that will listen to this uh, podcast for sure. Yeah. The, the way I envision it is, you know, if you have, you have a, you know, this is why the, um, um, what shall we say? The founding fathers originally envisioned not having a standing army because they understood the psychology of a soldier. If you have a full-time professional soldier that does nothing but train for combat, they want to get into combat. You want to like you want to take that hard work, the pain, the suffering that you put in on a daily basis to master that skill set. You want to put that to use. Right. Yes. So, yeah, I think that's uh, I think that that same psychological dynamic, um, if you can do it, if you don't allow it to be a sticking point, like you said, and an excuse not to make the call. But if you can kind of trick yourself that way and build yeah. that skill set of the presentation, then, yeah, you get on the phone. The goal is not to get through the phone call. The goal is then is to be is to get the appointment because you actually want the appointment. I feel like Absolutely. there's a lot of people that get on the phone and they make the calls to make the calls. But they're actually I don't want to say dreading, but they're definitely afraid of the appointment because they know it's that, oh, shit, now what moment. 
Yeah. Well, and, and it goes, let's peel the onion, you know, a few layers deeper. Not only are they afraid to go on the, um, on, on the listener appointment because like, oh my gosh, now I got to perform. But one of the reasons why people are, are, uh, lacking in follow up is because they're actually talking to people. They've got a lead, but they have to follow up. Maybe they didn't set the appointment, but then they got to follow up. And then because typically before a presentation is made, there's a follow up call that's also yeah. made. And and so we see that one of the biggest losses of income in the real estate industry is poor lead follow-up. Again, I believe it comes down to people don't want to follow up because that's actually going to give them a listing presentation, which then puts them in position to potentially be rejected. And we seem to want to avoid that at all costs. You know, going back to, you know, if you were that soldier and you were training to be a soldier, um, then, you know, then, then you're going to perform well in battle, right? I bet yeah. you of Michael Jordan when he was a kid, I bet you he was running around the gym with the ball shooting from the three point line or behind or, or behind it and saying three, two, one, and then he throws it up and <laughs> I bet you he was practicing that last last minute shot over and over and over again, preparing, preparing for the day that he gets into the game and just dreams of the clock going down and him him hitting that game winning bucket. I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah. So I agree with that. All right. So let's talk about the self image part a little bit and why why we feel like the rejection from you know from a listing presentation why that why that hits so hard and how can we address that a little bit so have you worked with agents and been able to kind of help them with that self image and not take the rejection personally and and kind of get over that sticking point yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I surely don't know the psychology behind all this. Um, but when I'm dealing with an agent, uh, or, you know, somebody in the, in the industry that's having an issue with rejection, or at least I, I, I assume that they are, um, I, I try to get them to understand a little bit more about what's really going on in a listing presentation. The, even though it feels like from the agent standpoint that they're being rejected, the reality is, is they, are not being rejected. They as a person, they as a human being, they as a real estate agent, as a live breathing person are not being rejected. It's something that was said that's being rejected. In other words, maybe you suggested a price of 500,000 and they were thinking 475. So they rejected you because they thought that, you know, that you all were in alignment and you weren't aligned together on pricing. Or maybe you off, you, you suggested 500,000 and they were thinking 550, whether it's higher or lower. Maybe there was just a misalignment. You know, so a lot of times, and I think the majority of the time, when people are being rejected, it's not them that's being rejected. It's something that was said that was being rejected. Now, here's the key. If people will, if people will take this approach, you first are an information gatherer. And then you're an information giver. So I'm going to call you, right? And I'm going to call you and say you're an expired. I'm going to ask you some questions like, you know, why do you think it didn't sell? You know, what did your agent do um, that you liked? What did your, what do you think your age, your last agent should have done? How did you choose your last agent? Why are you selling? Where are you moving? What's important about moving there? When would you like to be there? How, how, how much do you owe on the property? Will you do financing or are you only going to, uh, or do you want all your cash out? If you ask ask all those questions before you start giving information. If you're an information gatherer before an information giver, 
then you'll actually know how to get into alignment with that seller because they will have already given you all the information that you need to be able to communicate with them and to them in the way that they want to be communicated to. So there, you should never be in a situation where you're telling somebody 450 when they were thinking 500 because you should already know what they're thinking. Now, yeah. just because you already know what they're thinking doesn't mean you're going to tell them something that's, a, that's not true, but how you deliver that information may vary. In other words, if somebody wants 500 and I know they're only going to get 400, I'm, I'm going to probably say, hey, look, I know that, you know, ultimately, if I was in your shoes, I would probably want to get the most money for the, for, for, for this house. And I could understand why you would want to get 500. But what we have to do is we have to look at the statistics, look at the data, and the market seems to be talking to us right now and telling us based on the comps that it's probably somewhere in this 400 to $425,000 range. See, that might be the way I deliver that. But mm-hmm. let's just say it's reverse and they want 450 and I see I can get them 500,000. Then my tonality and flex, hey, look, I know you said 450 would be fantastic, but I'm going to be able to get you $500,000. You know, so I'm way more excited in the way that I'm going to deliver that information, or yeah. I'm way more kind of subdued in if, if it's in reverse. So I'm going to always tell them the truth, tell them the information that exists, tell them the facts, but my tonality and inflection may change. So yeah. how am I going to do that? I, the way that I'm going to do that is I'm going to be an information gatherer in the beginning, and I'm going to understand what they're really looking to accomplish, and then I'm going to present. Yeah. So that's how I would help somebody because I don't st- don't think there's, we should ever be rejected in a listening presentation. Mm-hmm. There are going to be times where personalities are just not going to click. I get it, okay? Yeah. But for the most part, there should never be a time where you're rejected because of information not being aligned with the consumer. The only reason that would be is if you didn't know that information prior to having the conversation with them. Right, or which is a failure of pre-qualification. And, which and is a failure of pre-qualifying, yeah. exactly. Thanks yeah, and that's a good way to kind of distance yourself it. from it, which is to say, yes, like internally this might feel like rejection, but what it really is, and you do like a, you know, you analyze your failure essentially and say, okay, great. Yes, it feels like this, but in reality what happened is that I just didn't follow the steps that I knew to, to follow. I, I missed a step essentially, and then I communicated in a way that, kind of gave the impression that we were out of alignment in some way, right? Setting aside the personality stuff, you know, for the most part, it really just comes down to that or it just comes down to a condition. They are unwilling, even though I gave them the best advice I can possibly give them, they are unwilling to accept that price or to accept the terms of how I would work with them or whatever. And therefore, we're just not a good fit. And that can also yeah. kind of distance yourself. But that yourself would be you rejection. rejecting them. That would mm-hmm. be you, Matt, the agent, rejecting them. That wouldn't That's be you point. getting rejected. That'd be you saying, hey, look, you know what? It's 400 You want $500. i am sorry. I'm not going to take your listing. Mm-hmm. So that would be you rejecting them. See, there's yeah. another another perspective, right? It's like just saying, hey, look, if you're going to walk away because you're not in alignment on pricing, that's you rejecting them. That's not you reject them rejecting you. And then, you know, yes. and, when, if, and when people say no. If you no, go into it the right mentality, if you yes, go into it the mentality yes. that I will only take the listing if it fits my system. I have a system that delivers great results for my ideal client, and I know who yes. that ideal client is. If you go yes. with the mentality that I want 
all listings unconditionally at whatever price I can get them, then you will feel rejected if they don't want to list with you because they want to get more out of the home. So I think yeah, that's and you should be rejected. You should be rejected because you're going into the presentation with 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 it's all about me. I just right. want the listing at all costs. Well, yeah. you know what? If you're going into listing presentations with that mentality, then you're going to get rejected a lot because yeah. people are looking for authenticity and they're going to see that there's no authenticity in that presentation and they're not going to know why, but they're just going to know that you're not the right agent for the job um, um, of, of selling their home. Yeah, you know, the other thing sense. is, is the term no, when somebody says no or somebody, you know, and, and I'm going to use the term no as a as one way to to um, hear rejection. The term no doesn't mean no. The term no just means I need more information. Mm-hmm. And so too many people stop at no. Yeah. You know, no, you're not. I'm not going to give you a, a, an appointment. No, I'm not going to list with you. And then they stop and experience rejection. But what you need to hear is you need to hear no is nothing more than no, I don't have enough information to say yes. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. A no is I don't have enough information to say yes. It's not a rejection. Yeah. You know, so yeah. these are the types of conversations that I'm 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 going to be having with agents, or I do have with agents when they really want to build their business. You know, from a foundation of some sort of outbound lead generation. Yet at the same token, they're resisting. They're yeah. you know finding themselves making excuses for never getting started. These are the types of conversations we typically have with each other. Yeah, I love it. And I want to make sure we have time for for another one here. And guys, put what, whatever you feel like is your biggest sticking point. We've got a ton of people. Andy Shear, Tim Corcoran, Mike, Sean, Dan, Marie. Good Lord, we got a ton of people watching us uh, live yeah. here. So guys, put your biggest sticking point. The last time I asked for this question, we're on um, my regular podcast with Greg McDaniel. We asked this question, and one of the key things that people put up there was consistency, which I know we want to get into that because I, I, I would love to hear your perspective on this and the role of excitement and boredom and how that affects your consistency. So let's go there. Yeah. So, um, well, you just said a lot there. So, um, you know, consistency though is, is definitely an, uh, you know, an issue. We have a lot of inconsistency. Somebody shows up to prospect today and then they don't show up for two days and then they prospect for three days in a row and then, and whatnot. It's like kind of like, uh, it, it's like driving a car. You're like flooring it and then you're slamming on the brake and you're flooring it. You know, how about let's put this thing on cruise control? It's the most efficient and effective way to get from A to Z is to have the thing on cruise control, you know. But why are people so inconsistent? I think it has a lot to do with boredom. Boredom. People, you know, if you're going to build a foundation um, based on some sort of outbound lead generation, then be assured if you're going to be effective, then you're going to be bored. Because it's very robotic. And a lot of people, especially in today's society, you know, we, we all look at our kids and we say, oh, my gosh, our kids, you know, they just they want to be on the phone. And then when they put the phone down, they want to open up the computer and put the shut the computer off. They like they can never sit still on the couch and just kind of like sit there and do nothing. They always have to be doing something. You know, that's what the adults are saying about the kids. But let me tell you, <laughs> that's exactly how adults are right now. That's how I am. That's how everyone here is. We just we we like to make our kids wrong for it. But the reality is we're just as wrong. And that's what's going on, I think, in in the lead generation world is people get in there and they make calls and they don't get an appointment today. So they're like, well, you know, it's no big deal if I miss tomorrow. And then they like, well, no, I need to get back on it. And it all comes down to master mastering repetitious 
boredom. And if we go again and start to look at athletes or people who have um, generated or accumulated a lot of wealth, Mm -hmm. um, you'll see that one of the things that they mastered is they mastered the boring. The people who are chasing excitement and variety in their business are also the people that are also chasing dollars all the time. They're not the most wealthy when it comes to building wealth for themselves. It's the ones that are just boring. They show up at the same time. They do the same thing. They have the exciting incomes, and it seems to be sustainable. The ones that have the exciting schedules usually have the least amount of income, and it's very – it's like going up and down based on the volatility of their market. So if you really want to – you really want to build long-term sustainable wealth for yourself, you have to do the boring Every single day, five days a week, however many hours you want to commit to, but just be consistent. You have to have a clock in and clock out mentality in order to be successful in this business. Successful and sustainable because right now there's a lot of people that are successful in the industry because we got a tailwind called hot market. The question will be, is it sustainable? Because if you go back and look at the successful agents in 2005, 6, and 7, the majority of the successful agents are not around anymore. So that tells you it wasn't sustainable. But you have some real boring agents that were around in 2004, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, all the way to 17, and they've grown every year. Yeah. Even through the recession back then, they grew mm. because you can grow in a recession if you'll commit and master to the boring. Yeah. Um, so there, there's a there's a lot of different directions we can go. I, I I 100% agree, and I see this manifested a lot in the circles that I run into where you have people that start digital agencies, for example, right? Mm. So the, those are the guys that they they love variety. And they, they believe that the path to high income is high contracts, you know, big, big contracts with bigger companies and stuff like that. So they chase that, but you're right. It's, it ends up being a roller coaster and they never really build up, uh, what I would consider, you know, like long-term wealth, unless they, unless they're really smart and they just plow their money into real estate investment, for example. Um, and so that's what I love about guys like Frank, you know, from viral marketing and Jeff Cohn and guys like that is they're super smart in that they have built extremely predictable, scalable, boring, businesses, but they found other ways and things that they do outside of the boring part to solve that desire for variety, right? Which is what I'm trying to do. So I've got an extremely boring, predictable business called podcast production. And I get, I have to get the craving for variety out in other ways. They're like special projects and all this other stuff. So I found a way to get around that. How do you get around that for yourself? Like there's, there's the boredom within it, Right. So we can talk about maybe ways to solve that. And then there's getting just accepting the boredom within your lead generation and then finding your kind of your cure for variety in other ways. So what, what's worked the best for you and what's, what have you seen work best for agents? Yeah, good. I, I love this conversation. What comes to my mind right now is boredom is nothing more than a perception. It's not real. Okay. okay. So you're choosing, we're choosing a meaning that we're giving the term boredom. 
Okay, uh-huh. that's just what we're doing. I mean, there is no truth. Boredom, because there's people out there that actually don't get bored with the same tasks that other people will get bored at. So there's no truth to boredom. The boredom okay. is nothing more than a perception. So what I understand, though, is, is that when I'm experiencing boredom, I'm choosing to give what give that meaning to that task. And so that's really what I focus on is like, well, why am I giving that meaning to this task? What am I? I'm, and when I give boredom, the, when I give that meaning to the task of lead generation, then what I am is I'm disconnected to why I'm actually doing it in the first place. So I'm not prospecting to chase commission checks. I'm prospecting to serve the consumer. I have a duty. I have a duty to help as many people as I possibly can in my community and and deliver as much value to those people as I can. So if I'm bored and I'm inconsistent, then I'm failing to actually do what I'm really committed to doing, which is serving the community. Okay, so I have to go back and get back to that. It's like, hey, boredom is all about me. It's me serving me. Oh, gosh, I'm bored. That's me serving me, feeling like I'm not being served. Well, as soon as we're put turning our focus on us being served, we're probably going to lose focus on our business. So I'm turning my my focus back onto the consumer and saying, hey, what I'm doing is nothing more than a bridge that gets me from where I am today to where I want to be, which is to serve the consumer. And I just have to get right back into that 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 perspective, change my really perception good. of what I'm doing change the perception of what I'm doing. Yeah, that's very, very Abraham of you. So I've been, I've been reading, (laughs) I've been going back and reading Jay Abraham's book because I absolutely love the strategy of preeminence. And I love the part that he talks about extreme empathy for your client, treating prospects as if they're already clients. They're already people that are under your care and protection and, and really falling in love with the client, not your product and certainly not yourself. It's, it's yeah. funny how it's, I mean, it, it's, it's universal principles. So obviously Jay Abraham isn't the first to express them, but I, I think he has articulated them very well and, and directly tied it to how it ends up benefiting us, which makes it a little bit easier for business people to accept. But good morals is good economics, right? Unselfishness, yes. looking out for the interests of the people that you want to serve ends up serving you in the best way. So I love that perspective on boredom. Um, there's another way I was reading. Uh, this book, Smarter, Better, Faster, by the guy that wrote The Power of Habit, Charles Duhigg. And he gives an example of a gal that ran a collections agency for Chase Bank in the South, and she ended up outperforming all the other collections agencies, and they couldn't figure out why. In fact, she couldn't even give them a set of of principles that that she, uh, like she had an idea of why she had you know that sort of uh, excellent track record she couldn't quite articulate it so they really like brought her on to speak and started picking apart what she was doing and it wasn't very strategic it was all very tactical and all it was was they were running little experiments every day putting out a hypothesis and then testing it the next day and then gathering back as a team to see well, what what was it like? We thought, okay, if we called this certain group of people between this time, maybe that will have better results. Nope, that didn't work. Let's try this over here. And so they just kept constantly on a very very practical kind of tactical level, just testing things to see if it would work. And the practical result of that is that they're gamifying their legion or they're gamifying their calls, right? So I think that's another way that you can take it. You can you can shift your perspective on the boredom. You can also shift your perspective to the person on the other end of the line. And you can really focus on little experiments, 
to see if it raises your results and that just those little mental tweaks. I mean, that that's how guys like Jordan shoot 10,000 free throws. They turn everything into a game. Yeah. It's, it's not work. Yeah. It's, it's not, not work. work. It's, a game. it's not work. It's not work. I I've a couple things on this and, and um, you know, I don't, I never tell anybody that they need to have a prospecting schedule. I tell them they need to have a prospecting ritual. Mm, that is a great prospecting word. Schedule. They have to have a prospecting ritual. See, schedules, we break all the time. We always break. Okay. We're late. We, we don't show up. We cancel. We reschedule all that. And that, you know, and, and it's acceptable to do that. I mean, it's just part of it. A part of a, being a, a business person is you're going to have a schedule and, you know, and, and, and there's going to be some fluctuation inside of that schedule. But a ritual is different. A ritual is like when you turn on TV and you see National Geographic and they're, you know, they're, they're doing a documentary on this one tribe, somewhere in this remote area where there's no electricity. There's only fire and very few tools and they have to hunt and gather, you know, to, to, to survive. But every day they walk a mile and they go into this one little area and they either pray or they do something and they do it every single day. It's their ritual. And when they're sick, they still do it. When their leg gets broke the night before, maybe they can't walk a mile, but two other people in their tribe carry them to that place and carry them back because that's what a ritual is. A ritual is a ritual. It cannot be broken. A schedule can be broken anytime. So I don't tell people to actually have a, a prospecting schedule. I try to influence them and share with them that they need a prospecting ritual because then it becomes about a bigger purpose than them. It's bigger than you. So your schedule is about you, but your ritual is bigger than you. And that's how I, I look at this. Again, it's all perspective, you know, and I said, it's a game, right? It's a game. And I, and I've said this, I think I may have said this to you before, um, on a podcast. I said, you know, if I was to call up five of my friends and say, Hey, hey guys, can you come over and help me? I've got a water problem in my front yard. I need you to work all day with me. We're going to dig a ditch and then my water problem's going to be gone. If I called five of my friends, they'd all tell me to kiss their butts, go hire somebody. they're not going to come over. They'll come over, bring, you know, a bottle of wine or some beer and we can watch someone else do the work. That's what they would say to me. They said, no way am I going to get my hands dirty. You know, okay. I'm not going to work 12 hours to, 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 to dig that ditch for you. But if I changed the, the presentation, I said, hey, guys, I need you to come over here and go with me to uh, let's just say we're going to go to Africa and we're going to spend 12 hours all day digging a ditch. Now, it's the same exact task. But I said, we're going to go to Africa. We're going to dig this ditch. And when we dig this ditch, the outcome is going to be us connecting a water source to a certain tribe that's never had water. And because they haven't had water. 30% of the children are dying before the age 10. Are you in to come help me dig this ditch? Every one of them will show up to dig that ditch. What's yeah. the big deal? It's the same ditch. It's the same 12 hours of digging. The difference is not the task. The difference is their perception of what they would be doing. Mm-hmm. It's the meaning that they're giving the action. Yeah. Yeah. You give a different meaning to your generation, and all of a sudden, you'll see boredom goes away. Hmm. You won't ever feel rejection. If you did get rejected, you wouldn't even care because you're doing it for a higher purpose Hmm. to serve somebody else. I, correct me if, or, or I would love your input on this in the last few minutes that we have left. I know you got a heart out. Um, 
just quickly, like I, I know that my appreciation for ritual has grown as I've gotten older. So yes. I know there's a lot of young agents who will like, and, and when you're young, you kind of have this tendency anyway. You want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You want to like the rituals that you inherit, the things that you're forced to do, the things that you look at as repetitious. You immediately want to throw that out because yes. you're just going through that that kind of rebellious phrase uh, phase. But yeah, as I've gotten older, I've gotten much more of an appreciation for those things, the simple things done at a ritualistic level. Over and over and over and over again. I don't know. Is that something that you've noted? Did you always have that appreciation or has that grown for you over time? Uh, it's, uh, my appreciation has grown over time. My understanding has grown is uh, over time. Um, but I've had the ritual just about my whole career. But here's how hmm. is in the beginning when I was younger, I had the ritual because I had a coach or a mentor hold me accountable to a process. Mm. So we didn't, you know, I wasn't yeah. like committed to the ritual mm. when I was younger. That's my, my, my 47 year old description is, is of, of, of the doing is that right now. Right. But when I was 24 years old, I wasn't talking about the ritual. I was just being held accountable by my coach to do the things that I was supposed to do. Now they probably, my coach at that mm-hmm. time probably knew that they were having me do a ritual, but that mm-hmm. wasn't the conversation they were having. It was just accountability. Yeah, so you were, for the, you the were, younger generation, they just, yes, the, the younger yeah. generation, they just, they, they, they may not be, um, inspired by the ritual conversation, but mm-hmm. what they can do is they can be held accountable to task, certain tasks that will make them successful. And if they are held accountable and they live up to their accountability, then it, it's the same thing as the ritual. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, the outcome is the same. The and then as you get the older, and yeah, the outcome is the same. And then as you get older, you, you develop an appreciation for it. Um, okay, so one quick question, Michael Higdon. Uh, what is up, Michael? He's coming on the show here uh, over the next couple of weeks. How do you minimize distractions from the shiny things that keep you or pull you from that repetitious, uh, repetitious boredom? And then we'll shut this one down. Yeah, so that's a great question, Michael. And so because it's a ritual, there are no distractions. You see, like there aren't cell phones. There aren't anything going on. A ritual is a ritual. And, you know, in other words, if I was going to generate, uh, do outbound lead generation from, say, 8 to 11, then there's zero uh, uh, distractions allowed. I mean, remember, it's a ritual. So if if I'm in that tribe, you know, and I'm getting ready to go walk the mile at eight o'clock because we're going to go do some sort of ritual, um, and one of my friends says, "Hey, skip the ritual today because I'd like to go on the boat. It's nice and sunny." You don't see that. I would never skip because it's a ritual. And then what ends up happening is all the distractions. See, I think we train people to distract us. We don't, we're not distracted. We invite distractions. And the way we invite distractions is when somebody attempts to distract us and we allow them to distract us at that time, then we just gave them permission to continue to distract us at that time. So yep. we have, we're training our people to distract us and things to distract us. So what we do is we, if we really commit to a ritual, then there, the people that are in our lives that would distract us and bring these shiny objects to us, they actually will realize that they can't bring it to us, bring those to us at that ritual time. So I still have people trying to distract me every single day, if not every single hour. 
you know, but the key is, is, and, and I don't make any outbound calls anymore. I mean, it's been right. years since I've really made outbound calls. Now I'm in the room with the agents and training them and, and whatnot, but me personally, I'm just not having to do that to get listings anymore. Okay. Right. But here's the key. My friends in my community still don't call me until after 11 o'clock. I will have friends say, hey, I'm not going to bother you before 11, but call me around 1130. I know you're up there generating. There's because they have known me to do that for 20 plus years. My family, my friends, coworkers, people that just know me, they they know my ritual and therefore they honor it and respect it. And so if people are not respecting it, consider that you're not respecting it. That is extremely good. <laughs> All right. We've got one minute to shut things down. So guys, make sure to, uh, uh, if you like this episode, let us know. Yeah, obviously hit the like and heart on, on this particular Facebook live and make sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and iTunes and Stitcher and all that good stuff. And guys, we did a whole, you know, you alluded to the fact that you don't make outbound calls anymore. The, the reason that you have that is you have systems in place behind you that are keeping in touch with your database that you've built over the years. Guys, if you want to know how to do that, go to the level up slash free and that will take you where you can uh you can enter your email to get the latest episodes of the podcast and as a thank you uh we will give you immediate access to a marketing automation training video that me and greg put together on exactly how he built and started down the road to building those systems to get him to that place so guys thank you so much we appreciate it greg thank you so much uh that Absolutely. was insanely powerful i know people took away a ton of stuff um Good. So that's guys, fun i, I enjoy doing yeah, that. that was awesome very very cool guys all right we'll see you on the next one okay